Hi, this is Dr. Diana Wiley, author of Love in the Time of Corona, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Dr. Diana Wiley. Dr. Diana Wiley is a PhD and has practiced for more than 30 years as a licensed marriage and family therapist, a board-certified sex therapist, and a gerontologist. Since 2010, she has hosted the online radio show, Love, Lust, and Laughter on Progressive Radio Network. Dr. Diana has published two studies in medical journals on aging and sexuality and was appointed as a Clinton presidential delegate to the 1995 White House Conference on Aging. Dr. Diana lives and works in Seattle, and she's here to talk about her book, Love in the Time of Corona, Advice from a Sex Therapist for Couples in Quarantine. Welcome, Diana. Thank you, Bill. I'm so glad to be with you. It's so nice to have you here. Say, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Mainly my father. And the the tragedy about my father is that he was killed by a truck when I was 14. But he was an entrepreneur, an inventor, a really good, fun, funny man. And he loved my mother. And I was very fortunate because I got to grow up in a family where there was affection and demonstrativeness. And I had what's called secure attachment. Both my parents taught us the facts of life, my sister and me. And they let us know that sex is fun. It's a positive aspect of marriage. So... You know, that kind of beginning, that secure attachment I experienced with my parents, my father taking the lead as a fun, good guy, enabled me to enjoy adult intimate relationships to the fullest. Just based on how much fun he was and what a warm, positive memory you have of him growing up, can you remember a decision that you made? in your teenage years or early on in your 20s, when you know that it was his influence helping you make that decision? Yes, it was actually as a result of his sudden death, because he'd always encouraged us to tell us what we were feeling, as did my mother. But my my father was very encouraging. And so the morning of his death, he came into my bedroom lifted up my hair because I was brushing it and kissed the back of my neck and said, I love you, Diana. And for whatever reason, I didn't say it back that morning. I had said it before. And then later that day, there was this freak accident and he was killed. So what I learned at the tender age of 14 is if you love somebody, if you have feelings for somebody, life is uncertain. So you tell them much, many years later in my life, I was widowed very suddenly. I'm now remarried. But again, I had no idea that my husband would die so suddenly of a heart attack at only the tender age of 57. 
So what I've learned is life is uncertain. And my mantra is carpe diem, damn it. I think a lot of business owners listening to this can identify with you with the sense that life is uncertain. And there are lots of things that are unpredictable. So it's important to equip ourselves with the skills and awareness that help us be prepared to be able to do our best as often as possible. And one of the things that you do is is you help couples who are suffering, they're in pain, they don't have the connection or the warmth or the intimacy that they desire or imagined or once had. What are the issues that people, including business leaders, face when they realize they should reach out to you or another professional for help with their relationship? Oh, reaching out for professional help with uh, couples therapy or individual therapy can be so useful. I suggest that people don't wait till they're in crisis. Reach out, reach out. Uh, John Gottman has done over 40 years of relationship research, and he discovered that the average couple waits seven years before they get help. And by that time, a lot of their issues have calcified and they're really in a more sort of negative intimacy place where there's another living body there, but it's just somebody to fight with and have an argument with. And maybe it's the same old, same old argument that they've been having for years. And so really learning how to communicate well and solve conflict is so important. And you can learn that with a good psychotherapist. What are some examples of things that couples are saying to themselves or individuals are saying to each other that should be a warning sign that maybe things aren't as good as they could be, or maybe even they've slipped into that other area? Before we get to that, let me just celebrate and underscore what fantastic research Dr. John Gottman's offered through his books, through his seminars, through all the things that he's made. One of the early studies that I remember that he published was that he could tell on video within a few seconds. I don't know if it was 30 seconds or it was less than a minute. He could tell with pretty good certainty whether a couple was headed for trouble or not based upon their responses to one another, based upon their body language, and whether they offered supportive or undercutting comments based upon what the other said. Do you remember the study I'm I'm referencing? Oh yeah, there have been a a lot of studies like that. And um, he can predict divorce very well based on how many positive interactions there are versus negative. And you have to have about four to five positive interactions interactions after you've said something nasty or uncaring. Yeah, that's an important ratio in maintaining any type of healthy communications is to say four or five things that are positive, that underscore someone, build them up and affirm the work that they've done, their contributions they've made, or just, you know, who they are to any time that you offer any kind of critical or corrective feedback, both in our personal relationships as well as at work. I think it's so important to praise first and criticize later. Once somebody starts to be critical using you instead of I, I, you know, instead of saying, I'm feeling upset about this because, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, using your own feelings, you're, you're pointing the finger at the other person. You are really being stupid about this and, and going on and on and on. If you start with that, 
then the barriers go up, the defensive barriers, and the other person is much less likely to really listen. So you want to say something positive first and then go into the critical thing. I really appreciated when you took the time to take the kids out yesterday for for some playtime because it gave me some alone time and I really needed that. Something like that is good to say the positive first and then the criticism criticism might come after that. Are you a fan of the feedback burger where you start with something positive, you offer something corrective or critical, and then you finish with a positive comment or appreciation? Oh, sure. I'm in favor of that. Yes. And I also like how specific you were in the example you shared. I think specificity and being concrete about what we're pointing out in other people's behaviors in our relationships is also vitally important. As you mentioned in the introduction, I've been doing this work for, yeah, it's about 35 years now. And I find it so deeply satisfying. I love to see transformations in people. And I've seen many because I've seen thousands of couples and individuals over the years. And it really gives me a feeling of purpose and that I'm making, I'm helping to make a difference in people's lives. I mean, they do the work, but I'm, I'm the catalyst. And I just, I feel so fortunate to be able to do this work. And it also, I'm a woman in my seventies and it's also work that I won't age out of. And I appreciate that. My history included a little bit of theater work and even working as a showgirl for a year back in my twenties right after I'd been a school teacher. So I had that show business and definitely with show business, as a woman, particularly, you can age out of that profession, but not with mine. And in fact, I have many younger clients who appreciate that I'm a woman of experience, honestly, both personal and professional experience. So it makes a difference to, to, to do that, to feel relevant and to stay engaged. By the way, that's also with my gerontologist hat on, that's a very good way to successfully age that you're staying engaged. Excellent advice. I think that being a sex therapist probably is among the top three professions that you benefit from, from the experience and only get stronger. I think that someone once said to me that there was a profession that was the very best to pick if you always wanted your spouse to be more and more interested in you as each year went by. Do you know what that might be? Archaeology. Archaeology. Bingo. <laughs> I think it was Margaret Mead who said that about her husband. Yeah. She said, the older I get, the more fascinating I become to my husband. One of the things that people come to you for is advice about their marriage and their intimate relationships. Has that changed in your ability to be helpful to them during the pandemic lockdown? How has that been? One aspect of it is that I no longer see clients in person, and that's across the board for mental health professionals. So I see them on Zoom. So I miss a little bit, but thank goodness we have Zoom and other visuals. But the body language is is really important in doing counseling and the tone of voice and really actively, actively listening. Uh, it's, uh, you know, this is a tip that is, a, I may be digressing a little bit, but as long as it's here listening, let's really talk about that because I like to say, 
talk less, listen more. You know, I think as human beings, we have perhaps a universal need to be heard, understood, and validated. And unfortunately, you know, we're often so busy stating our positions to genuinely hear or be curious about our partner's thoughts or feelings. And then what happens is because in a partnership we may feel unheard, we can set up the ante and more zealously reiterate our opinions. So you want to deeply listen because this is the key. This is absolutely the key to neutralizing any escalating argument. And it's just stop talking, stop focusing on what you're gonna say back, and instead deeply listen to what the other person is saying and acknowledge his or her feelings. Let me jump in because I think all of us have surely witnessed, if not been part of a discussion that escalated and everyone was, both parties were trying to talk at once. How do you recommend that people step out of that when it seems like there's just such a competition to get your words in and to make the, the other person hear you because you fear that whoever takes a breath of air first is going to be the listener? You have to structure the argument. And I recommend that um, if somebody is going on and on and on and feels like they're not really listening to you, then you need to say, stop. I'm not getting a chance here. Let's take a break, 10 minute break. Maybe take a walk around the house if you can't go outside and then come back to it. And it, it can help to have two to three minutes each. One person has, and some of this is in my book, Love in the Time of Corona, Advice from a Sex Therapist for Couples in Quarantine. If you could share with me an example of working with a couple that had this kind of trouble and what you said to them that gave them the structure and the tools that made a difference in their relationship. Sure. I'm going to tell you about Bill and Susan. They were having trouble communicating because he needed more physicality in order to voice his tenderness. And he really wanted to connect with Susan, his wife. And she is more in her mind. Words feel safer than gestures and movements. So I gave them some caressing exercises to help them slow down, full body caressing exercises and to be less genitally focused. They take turns, giver, receiver, and the, the, uh, they were slowed down, they slowed down, they paid attention to the touch. This is sensate focus, touch homework. And Bill in session later after they did this as their homework was emotional as he described, oh, I, the purity of the physical touch. And for this exercise, intercourse isn't allowed till a little bit later, but felt no pressure to have an erection or any of that. So the mutual touch increased their levels of oxytocin, which helped bring down the anxiety. So their communication immediately improved. Another thing that you recommend in the book is scheduling a date night. What are some of your best tips for success with scheduling a date night for couples? These days, and even pre-pandemic for sure, we have D-I-N-S, 
syndrome, which is double income, no sex, D-I-N-S. And the other is TTFS syndrome, which is too tired for sex. So both of those are operating. And the, pretty much the best way to have sex happen is to schedule it. Put it on the calendar. Sometimes I get a little pushback from this because some people feel, particularly men, feel that sex should be spontaneous and that it isn't really any good if it's not spontaneous, if you're not running into each other's arms with passion when the mood strikes you, which is a myth fueled by Hollywood for sure. So you get out your calendars and you decide on a date night. And if you have little kids, either they're going to be farmed out, maybe with, can't do that so well these days, but maybe you do have grandparents that are in your pod of, of quarantining, or you wait until the kids are in bed. But anyway, you get the date on the calendar, and then you can anticipate that time. And you're going to set the scene. You're going to have a clean house and a picked up bedroom. You're going to have perhaps candles and flowers and really maybe good takeout food. And instead of have of after dinner binging on some Netflix movie, you're going to binge on each other. Maybe you're going to have a shower together or a bath together. And then you're going to do some of this massaging. Who of us has experienced that we have much better sex when we've had a massage first? We're going to be relaxed. And so setting the scene for a date night and following it up with some kind of physical, having emotional foreplay and then physical actual foreplay is important. I think that's really important. I think that also, given the fact that so many of us are living together and locked down in the house, we're seeing more of each other than before. And oftentimes it's been said that distance makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> and people are, when I've spoke to friends about anticipating this interview, many of them said that it was difficult to think about because the relationship seems to have suffered even though they're spending more time than ever together because of the need to have some distance and variety. How do you help people who talk about that as a need in their relationship? Yes. You know, a lot of people really do need some space and uh, especially older people. We talk about the five love languages, but I think the sixth one would be the need for some space and freedom. Occasionally, and that's hard for a lot of couples to come by these days. I have a fabulous marriage with a robust sex life. My husband and I are both in our 70s, but we don't live together. We have one of these living apart together arrangements. We see each other Wednesdays and weekends. He comes here uh, to my place on Wednesday and I go to his place. His place has a hot tub and a massage room, which is pretty good, <laughs> but I go to his place so we can anticipate. And in a way that's putting sex on the calendar and it works out really well, but it's very hard for some couples to create kind of space. And so you have to speak up and say what you need. For someone who might have trouble speaking up and asking for what they need, share with us a tip from a man's perspective, and then also share a tip from a woman's perspective based on couples you've worked with. So, well, in a way, the, the, the guy that um, I just described, so we called him, I called him Bill, 
he is very much an introvert and so it's it's harder for him to talk about his what he's feeling he's not always in touch with what he's feeling or if he is he has trouble putting words to it so i get him to talk about in an exercise what i love it's called sweet nothings what i love and appreciate about you is and i get the couple to take turns for about a minute each and then that gives the man some practice saying some positive loving things and maybe here's what his wife is saying too i have i've had back when i saw couples in person i've had a couple of guys actually cry with this exercise because they're not used to hearing such positive wonderful compliments sweet nothings from their partner and so that can help get feelings going. Uh, using the I messages and staying on topic can be very useful. You wanted an, a, an example of a woman. Lots of women go on and on and on and on. And this is meant to be a joke, Bill, but it's you've heard of Al-Anon. Well, on and on and on is for compulsive talkers. So we've got to limit the time that we're talking make it 15 minutes. You can say what you're going to say, taking turns and working out the conflict in 15 minutes. But a woman needs to talk less and listen more. Oftentimes, not always. I'm making some generalizations here, but it's hard not to. Understood. It's news for a lot of business leaders who I talk with and who share their comments about the show. They talk about how they don't think that structure belongs in an intimate relationship. And your experience is demonstrating and sharing with us how richer our relationships can be with a little bit of added structure, a little bit of rules, a few boundaries, and saying, let's take turns listening to each other so that we could really hear and feel what's going on. I am saying that. And one of the rules for creative combat is to reveal your discomfort immediately. You know, as soon as you sense discomfort in your relationship, share your concern, even if the cause remains uncertain. Sometimes just bringing it up will help you understand it. But I think it's, you don't want to save up resentment. This does no one a favor. So, you know, except possibly the headache and upset stomach relief medicine manufacturers, don't save up resentment. I remember reading that in my 20s in college and never going to bed angry at each other. Yes. I married my college sweetheart. Oh, thank and, you. Yeah. And here we are 32 years later. <laughs> Good for you, Bill. Good for you. I really value having a long-term relationship. And possibly it was due to growing up in a household where they, my, my parents didn't think about this and were perfect counterexamples, if you will. Yeah, and so perhaps you learned that you don't want to have that sort of contentious relationship where there's always tension. And, um, you, you know, you can learn from parents, and there may be a negative example, but you can learn from that. Oh, I do. And, and I actually say to my wife and my close friends, I say, you know, I, I wouldn't trade my upbringing for anything because it made me who I am today. I, and I do appreciate those lessons, even though at the time I surely wasn't appreciative of them or even grateful. I've, you know, resented a lot of that. From my perspective today, I'm really, really appreciative of the opportunities it gave me 
to focus on things that I normally wouldn't have focused on. Well, absolutely. And some couples get into name calling. And one of my rules for good fighting is no labels, no name calling. And you want to remember your goal. And your goal is to change how you behave toward each other. So condemning, insulting, you know, that blocks progress toward change. And, you know, I I worked with one couple and we'll call them Ralph and Nancy, and uh, they'd come up with many vicious and probably accurate insults, but it did not help their relationship. And their fights were like, you're just like your mother. You're a nagging bitch. And she'd say, you're a selfish bastard and you're a self-centered, egotistical person. So the principle here we want to pay attention to is an enduring relationship without mutual respect. Oh, it's like walking continuously barefoot on a bed of hot coals. You know, that produces a lot of stress and tension and cortisol and adrenaline in a relationship. And that will not help your immune system. We have to keep our immune system really healthy these days, particularly with COVID. And having a good relationship where there's laughter and play and a lot of sex, or it doesn't even have to be a lot of it can be, but it can be good quality sex, that can help the immune system and the health. There are plenty of studies that show how really healthy it is for you to have, to remain sexual. One of the other things that I loved reading in your book was about the ways that we can expand foreplay and talking about how you're feeling during kissing and hugging sessions that just increase the intimacy during the day that leads up to more intimacy and feelings of closeness later on? Well, I think if you like to have certain kinds of appetizers in your life that will get you back on the sexual track, then you need the sex menu in my book. I have a sex menu exercise. It's actually in the first chapter, getting to know your partner better. And the sex menu has all kinds of varieties of sexual behavior. And you get to say whether you want to be the giver and or the receiver. And you get to check yes, maybe, no. And I have over 40 sexual behaviors going all the way from hugging to the last one, different kinds of fetishes. So we have all kinds of sexual activities. And what this does, the sex menu, which can be downloaded from DearDrDiana.com, my advice website, that sex menu, although I'd love for you to buy the book too, but you can download that sex menu. And many couples find that this, they take it separately. They say what they want. This gives them a platform from which they can talk about what they want and need, sexually speaking. And many couples have never done that. And they don't have the words. They don't have the vocabulary. So this gives them a chance to talk about what they want and need. And it really works well. I think that this has a lot of application for people who are in business and not in intimate relationships, but in business relationships. I've bought the book for many of my clients of the five languages of appreciation in the workplace. And now one of the things that I stress with everyone is how four of those languages of love can still be shared. The one that's not easily accessible is touch, 
which really wasn't a lot of HR departments weren't very big on in the first place. But the work of, of Gary Chapman and Dr. Paul White was very, very important. Mindfulness and respect takes it even further because it creates an atmosphere that's conducive to building trust and building uh, accountability because you don't want to let people down who you respect and value. Can you talk about an example of maybe a client you worked with who benefited from this in their intimacy, in their personal relationships, and then reported that applying these same tools and this practice and becoming a, a better version of themselves also helped them be more effective at work as a business leader? Yes. Let's talk about the, I go back to listening. I think whether it's the best sex tip I could offer people or the best thing you can do in business negotiations, it's to really listen. And I said that earlier in our conversation here, but actively really listening can be so important. This is one reason why introverts are often better leaders than extroverts. And that was very well described in Susan Cain's book, Quiet. Her idea there was that introverts often will not take credit for everything if they're the leaders. They like a team. They're good at delegating. They're good at listening to their people on the team. And extroverts sometimes are not as good. They're maybe not listening and really hearing, and they maybe won't even want to share the glory of a decision, whereas introverts can be more inclusive about that. So really listening and fielding out. Oftentimes introverts have very good EQ, emotional intelligence, because they observe and they take time and they look and they listen and they're more in touch with their own feelings. They're more intuitive about their their feelings and what they want and need. And so they can better intuit other people's feelings if they know themselves. IQ might get you hired, but EQ gets you promoted. Well put. Diana, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Oh, sure. At the beginning of the interview, I asked you about a person who inspired you growing up and you talked about your dad. What was a song that you found inspiring when you were a teenager? This sounds so silly, but it's so it's such a happy song. Zippity doo da. Zippity doo da, zippity a. My oh my, what a wonderful day. <laughs> What's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? Drinking, except for celebratory times. My husband and I celebrated 10 years together and we had champagne. For me, especially during the pandemic, I think it was a good thing for me to stop drinking alcohol. But I, at times I was, especially in my youth, I was a bit of a party girl. So that's what I've done. I've just stopped drinking alcohol except for really special occasions. Let's take a moment and just address what you think is the biggest misconception around intimacy during the time of the pandemic lockdown. I'm hearing from my clients that there is so much anxiety that they've just, they, they're having trouble thinking about being sexual, but they come to me because they know that I'm going to promote having good sex. 
but they're having trouble thinking about being sexual. And so that's when I talk about doing these non-demand in terms of touch exercises and scheduling a date night. You can be sexual. It's one of the best ways to full to help your marriage withstand this pandemic and not go and get divorced. And couples can can do that by getting back on track with sex and also remembering that you want to be a cheerleader for your spouse. You know, that our day-to-day, it's easy to forget to be a cheerleader because there are so many professional things that are weighing on us and being a parent, just being a plain human being, no shortage of voices telling us what failures we are. And we're bombarded with advertisements designed to make us feel inadequate. So we need to be a real voice of support and encouragement for our spouse. And if you if it's hard for you to find something to cheer for small things your spouse is doing well, then look again for small things your spouse is doing well. And because when people have a taste of victory, they often crave more of it. They, they want to have uh, support and encouragement and they want to have their shelter in place be more cocooning rather than attention-filled experience. Dr. Diana Wiley, thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best today. You've shared so many great tips, starting with how inspired you were and what a difference in your life your father made just through his positivity and being fun and fun-loving and sharing his affection with you and all the other members of your family. You share with us the importance of taking ownership. You learned from Dr. John Gottman, the importance of having that ratio of four to five positive comments to every one critical or corrective comment. The importance of taking ownership in our relationships and how satisfying you find that as a profession in order to be a catalyst for helping others really emerge and flourish from their our own relationships. You mentioned the exercise of sweet nothings from your book, which is wonderful for people to actually speak and listen to sharing those unqualified messages of appreciation with a loved one. You mentioned the importance of sharing any discomfort immediately and not letting it fester because it's important to to really mention that and bring it to light so that it can be addressed. You talked about how to create enduring relationships with respect because having a relationship without respect is a terrible, terrible way to spend our time and energy, whether it's in our intimate relationships or business relationships. And I want to thank you for joining me on My Quest for the Best. My pleasure, Bill. Thank you so much for having me on your program. Diana, before we say goodbye for now, can you share with us a website or someplace we could go to find out more about you and your work online? Yes, please go to DearDrDiana.com. We're going to link to your website as well as ways to find you on social media and to buy your book to make it easier for people who listen to this episode. Dr. Diana Wiley, author of Love in the Time of Corona, Advice from a Sex Therapist for Couples in Quarantine. Thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you, Bill. It's really been fun being here. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. 
please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.